From the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network Studios in Des Moines, I'm Mark Magnuson, and welcome to Iowa Ag Matters. In today's show, I will be joined by Matt Herman of the Iowa Soybean Association to discuss the Arizona federal court's dicamba ruling and how it affects Iowa's farmers. Riley speaks with Kent Klingbeil, lead agronomist with Advanced Agrolytics, and Andy and Dustin will discuss crop insurance and reference prices. It's time now to welcome our hosts, Dustin Huffman and Andy Peterson. Well, another beautiful day, Mark, as we get going on the Iowa Ag Matters program. Thanks so much for joining us here on your authentic, official, and trusted voice of Iowa Agriculture, the center of the ag universe here yesterday and today, Dustin, at the Agribusiness Association of Iowa Showcase. I had the privilege of moderating a panel yesterday um, with uh, Scott Alks from Assured Partners, um, Jordan Crowley with Hub International, and uh, Kim Cross with the Iowa Insurance Division, talking about agribusiness insurance, which that the outlook on premiums is that they're not going anywhere, certainly not down anytime soon, but very well attended. Great to see everybody. And uh, of course, a lot of the talk was about dicamba, as you can imagine, and that federal judge's ruling and what that means for Iowa soybean farmers. Yeah, that it was. And definitely interesting conversations. I know Mark talked with the folks at the Iowa Soybean Association to get their take on it. And a lot of people wondering, as we were yesterday, what Arizona has to do with soybean production. But, you know, <laughs> we'll figure that out as time goes. And again, a judge is a judge, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Well, right now, of course, we're going to take a look at the markets, get that rolling. Joe Camp of Comstock Investments visiting with Mark Magnuson. Joined today by Joe Camp of Comstock for our opening market discussion. Joe, what are we seeing taking place in the grains? Quiet overnight, but we could have a more active 830 hard open here in a bit. We see some influence likely spilling over from the outside markets. The stocks are sharply lower here. Futures are at least setting up the cash index open here shortly. But you have the dollar index sharply higher. Uh, You've got this response to the latest consumer price index report that was much hotter than anticipated, which is why that's a negative here for financial markets in terms of stocks and the dollar going higher the expectation that uh, the Fed's going to have to stay hawkish. And that's been the leaning as of these latest several weeks that everybody said, oh, let's step back on what we had expected prior insofar as an interest rate reduction starting in March. At one point in December, uh, futures implied odds had it at over 70% that we would get a rate reduction in March. And now it's just barely double digits, say 10 or 15% that we're going to have a reduction. And this supports the Fed still being cautious about high inflation. And we're going to see if that spills over again into the commodity trade, maybe a bit of a negative anytime you have the dollar up sharply and this risk-off mentality developing potentially in the stocks. So we had the latest WASD report last week. Joe, what are we looking forward to in the way of information or our next big report? Well, no help, of course, from that WASD report last week, the USDA staying stubbornly high, uh, particularly on those Brazilian ex. Uh, estimates. And that's one thing we're going to continue to monitor would be reports from Brazil and crop progress, yield results. The same holds true for Argentina. That got into the mix a bit overnight where we had favorable showers reported across parts of Argentina and that being a weight on the meal market here to start. But report-wise here, we do look ahead towards the end of this week and we'll see some new data from the USDA coming from their Ag Outlook Forum. They hold that annually in Washington, D.C. I believe this is their 100th annual meeting. And so they get together, they have presentations. I've been a couple of times. 
but the subject for the market uh, would be these trend line estimates, these baseline estimates that they update. Baseline estimates, they've already put out one part of these. They're used for budgetary purposes, but they also give us a preview of what's ahead and give us a big picture look, starting with uh, what the first estimates could be for U.S. corn and soybean acres, and then also what will the trend line yields be. I mean, there's the expectation we're going to have slightly uh, fewer corn acres this year, a bit more soybeans, still overall more corn than soy, uh, but the question about trend line yield and how that could balance uh, out in the WASD reports going forward, uh, it could be that corn yield is estimated over 182 bushels per acre, soybeans 53 or 54. So it'll be some bit of information we'll have uh, here to close out the week. We'll hear more from Joe Kemp of Comstock Investments later on in the program. Right now, Andy Peterson stopping in with his three big Iowa Ag Matters. Number three. Contemplating a rebuild of the cattle herd at record low levels right now, according to Dr. Dan Tracy of Beef Technical Services with Zotus, who says that producers may be finally looking at expanding, which is a big decision. There's a lot of things we need to take in consideration. I'm glad to see that rebuilding of the herd because that's a good thing because we're in a state where we probably need to be. The considerations we need to make is there's a lot dependent on these heifers because they make up the history of the herd moving forward. They set the pace of the herd moving forward. So we want to select heifers more towards the beginning in that, uh, that calving season because we know they stay in the herd longer. We know their offspring outperform reproductively and on the steering production-wise, too, so we made that commitment to do so. He reminds producers that rebuilding begins with the basic of selecting the right heifers. Number two. Ongoing concern for fairness for farm kids as it relates to FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. Our Iowa Senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst pressing the Department of Ed for clarity regarding question number 22. They're especially concerned that the way the agency chooses to ask the question will force students to list the net worth of family farms as assets. Now, the senators wrote in a letter to the Department of Education that the question, quote, fundamentally misunderstands how the family farm operates, as the stream of revenue for crops and livestock varies significantly year over year, and assets cannot, quote, get cashed out to support a loan in the same capacity as traditional investments. Number one. A big loss, at least temporarily, for Iowa soybean farmers. The ruling handed down by federal judge David Burry in the U.S. District Court of Arizona in Tucson, revoking the approval that allows the use of dicamba herbicide products on soybeans in Iowa. Now, Matt Herman, chief officer of demand and advocacy with the Iowa Soybean Association, says that the ruling not only takes away one of just four key modes of action for fighting weeds, but the timing of the decision adds layers of problems for growers as there simply isn't enough supply of other herbicides to make up for the volume of dicamba products that have been ordered. I'm Andy Peterson. Those are your three big Iowa Ag Matters. Are you ready to diversify your farm income? Sweetwater Technologies, powered by GRIP, is offering the next generation of agricultural entrepreneurs turnkey owner-operated drone business partnerships. Together, we can grow and empower agricultural communities through technological solutions. It is our vision to build economic growth for future generations. Apply today to become a business partner and join our journey on the road to 1 million acres at sweetwatertechnologies.com. Well, lots of talk about, especially that dicamba ruling, as we were mentioning earlier on here in the show. And Mark Magnuson going to be talking with Matt Herman of Iowa Soybean here coming up about that ruling on Iowa Ag Matters. 
while catching a lot of people off guard, no doubt, was a court ruling in Arizona, of all places, that has taken dicamba away as a weed control tour, at least temporarily, tool, rather, temporarily. For Iowa soybean growers, it created a lot of the conversation that AAI showcased yesterday, including among some EPA Region 7 folks who believe that uh, there'll be more to come on this. But as for the here and now and where we stand, well... Mark Magison sits down with uh, Good Iowa Ag Matters advocate Matt Herman, the Iowa Soybean Association, who has more. A ruling handed down by federal judge David Berry in the U.S. District Court of Arizona in Tucson last week has revoked the approval that allows for the use of dicamba herbicide products on soybeans and cotton. The ruling applies to Iowa soybean growers, many of whom have already made their purchases for the 24 growing season, says Matt Hermit, chief officer of demand and advocacy with the Iowa Soybean Association. Well, this is really concerning for Iowa soybean farmers and for soybean farmers all over the country. Right? This is one of only four modes of action that farmers can use for a post-emergent setting. And with this, with the court vacating it at this time, it's, it's really challenging. Right. A lot of farmers have already placed order for beans, for seed uh, and for chemicals for this spring. And right now they're in a state of limbo on whether they can use it or not. The ruling says that the EPA violated the public input requirement from the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide and Rodenticide Act before giving its approval for the use of dicamba herbicide products. This ruling not only takes away a key weed fighting tool for farmers, but the timing of the decision adds layers of problems for growers, says Herman. I think this situation's bad all around, but the timing just couldn't be worse, right? And that was one thing, you know, that we kind of nitpicked at in the judge's ruling. He makes a comment, you know, I'll paraphrase it. You know, farmers can simply use a different product. Uh, and we point out that, you know, these agricultural supply chains can't just turn on a dime you know, like I said, not only have farmers placed seed orders uh, for delivery, you know, but frankly, we would have needed to know last year or two years ago so that we could have got the supply chain spun up to grow and get seeds out for alternative products. Herman says the ISA is asking for the EPA to appeal the ruling and issue a waiver, which would allow farmers to use stocks of dicamba products that they have on hand. It is a wait and see right now. So we're asking EPA to appeal the ruling and to ask for a stay. Also, we're asking for EPA to use its existing authority under the law to use an existing stocks waiver, basically saying, uh, yes, while the court has vacated this label, we're still going to authorize this emerging existing stocks. And that would allow all the uh, dicamba that's in the supply chain uh, to go out this spring and be used. And that's really what our farmers need so that they can get a crop in the ground this spring and fight weeds this summer. Herman says an existing stocks waiver would immediately help farmers in 2024. That would be the most common sense solution. And this is what happened the last time. You know, if we go back a few years ago, this label was subject to a court ruling before, and we were able to ask the previous administration to issue this existing stocks waiver. And that's what we did, but that's how we got here today. So we do need them to really issue that for this growing season. In February, we celebrate World Radio Day. Here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, we feature Iowa-centric programming with content focused on Iowa crop farmers and livestock producers who draw their livelihood from modern production agriculture. Today, the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network offers nine programs per day, anywhere from two and a half to four minutes. In addition, the network airs a daily midday program featuring Iowa Ag News and discussions called Iowa Ag Matters. And we also host a long-format weekend radio program called Weekend Ag Matters. 
The network's content footprint also includes a growing digital presence, including our daily e-newsletter called Ag Matters Daily, our website, which features our daily news stories at iowaagnet.com, along with a daily YouTube ag news program called Ag Matters PM. We are also active on Facebook, X, LinkedIn, and TikTok, and provide free daily market podcasts twice per day. We thank you for supporting the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network as we celebrate World Radio Day in February. Well, we continue to track, of course, the uh, movements in the basis numbers as we enter the uh, expiration uh, time for the uh, February contracts or the March contracts, I guess, coming up at the end of February. Dustin Hoffman has the numbers for you straight ahead here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Let's take a rundown of those elevator prices for you here on this Tuesday on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Dustin Huffman, seeing a little bit of downward momentum in a few of those prices. Let's check them out for you. Starting at ADM Burlington, they're 16 cents under on corn, 4.15. Soybeans, 12 cents under. They're at 11.79. Cargill Eddyville, a nickel over on corn, cash bid 4.36. New Co-op Algona, a dime under on corn, 4.21. Soybeans, 55 cents under, cash bid 11.36. Over at Ag State in Sheldon, they are 17 cents over on corn. They're at 4.48. Soybeans 68 cents under at 11.23. Ag State Alta, dime under on corn, cash bid 4.21. Soybeans 62 cents under 11.29. At Cargill and Cedar Rapids, they are even today on corn at 4.31 and reminding those truckers that they can only take hopper bottom trailers for corn. At soybeans, they're 15 cents under, cash bid 11.76. Nexus Co-op in Marble Rock, a dime under on corn, 421. Soybeans, 55 cents under at 1136. Lincoln Way Ethanol, Nevada, they are even on corn today, cash bid 431. ADM Des Moines, 12 cents under on soybeans, cash bid 1179. New Co-op Red Oak, a dime under at 421. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1141. Mid-Iowa Cooperative Green Mountain, 24 cents under on corn, 407 for the cash bid. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1141. New Co-op Sheraton, 20 cents under on corn, 411. Soybeans, 55 cents under with a cash bid, 1136. At Walk-On Feed Ranch, they are 17 cents under on corn, 414. Soybeans, 61 cents under at 1130. New Co-op Glidden, they're 10 cents under on corn, cash bid, 421. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1141. Innovative Ag Services of Farley, 15 cents under on corn, 416. Soybeans, 53 cents under, cash bid, 1138. Cargill Muscatine closed for the season. They'll only open April 1st. Cash corn and soybean bids are subject to change without notice. Always check with your local elevator when making sales to obtain the most recent price. And that's been a check of your basis numbers here on Iowa Ag Matters. We'll be right back. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. We got more market information coming your way here on Iowa Ag Matters later on with a full rundown of the midday numbers. That'll come to you from Mark and Andy. Don't forget about our free market podcast and analysis sent out from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network podcasts on Google, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We've got more Iowa Ag Matters coming up, so stay with us.
let's talk some crop insurance here on Iowa Ag Matters after I uh, moderate, uh, moderated, excuse me, that insurance panel. Andy and Dustin here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Um, we didn't talk much about crop insurance because that really wasn't the um, the focus of the conversation. But there was certainly some discussion about crop insurance and, of course, the uncertainty given the lack of a farm bill. And then this morning I see this. Crop insurance costs Dustin to leap by 29%, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Now, that doesn't mean your premium is going up by 29%. Uh, That means it's going to cost the government 29% more um, as far as the subsidies. And if you're wondering what that is, well, the government pays roughly 62 cents of each dollar in premiums, which is what makes it affordable as a revenue safety net out in the countryside. But yeah, a large jump. Now, why the large jump? A lot of it has to do with the livestock insurance portion of things, the uh, LRP programs, the subsidy harvesting that's going on, which is why there needs to be a fix for that. Um, And uh, yet there certainly were some crop insurance claims with the dry weather as well. But um, that's a big number, to say the least. Yeah, that it really is. And you know, you talk about the the cost for livestock and stuff, and I'm sure some of the farmers out there be like, well, it's nice to see that it's not just our costs for things that are going up, but, you know, that also adds to the pressure we see that in these farm bill discussions because there are a lot of opponents to the crop insurance program and those who don't, you know, quite understand. And so they see the dollar signs attached to it, but they don't see what it means and, and don't put two and two together when it comes to, you know, making sure that our farmers are made whole because if a disaster comes, and I know I always go back to the derecho, but the drought can be just as bad or, you know, hail or, or what have you, or just good strong wind, uh, I mean, can can cause a serious damage. And, you know, we, we've talked many times before with Senator Ernst, she always makes the comment that, you know, food security is national security. And if we have farmers that are not able to make it or be able to stay whole because of crop insurance, um, this is a completely, you know, thing completely a thing we cannot handle. And we're trying to salvage the situation and make things better. And, of course, just like with your health insurance, the more people you got enrolled, the better the premium is going to be. And so that's what part of this has done is to help, you know, get those prices down. The government helps pay for it because it's a blast to, you know, to the producers for, for having that. I mean, you know as well as anybody, Andy, you know, being a farmer, that if you had to pay for that on your own with the crop plus the land plus everything else you've got to do, it would be almost detrimental. I mean, how would you even make a profit on it? Yeah, the uh, incredible cost or the incredible capital that's required is especially at a time when commodity prices have fallen by a full two dollars a bushel is uh, is unbelievable. You mentioned the derecho and, you know, that was coming up on uh, three and a half years ago this August. It'll be four. And, and, and we talked actually a fair amount about that yesterday and its continuing impact on insurance premiums. And you go, oh, that was four years ago. Yeah, and it it was, but it also fundamentally changed how insurance companies write policies and, and really how they calculate risk because that's the insurance business, right? Uh, it, it's all about, you know, there's this amount of risk we calculate in these uh, amortization tables and, and actuarial tables and that sort of thing. And, and so we're going to have a certain percentage of losses um, and therefore we need to charge extra premiums to be able to cover those losses. The rest of them will, will buy protection through the reinsurance market. But the uh, insurance companies are now 
calculating weather risk when they weren't before. And obviously, it's been a nasty three or four years weather-wise with the drought and the derecho, which was a, a large loss event for insurance. And it has fundamentally changed how these policies are written, which is part of what's contributing to the higher premiums. So, you know, it doesn't, even though it seems like ancient history now, um, and it was three and a half years ago, which seems like a long time, it's still having an impact, which is, um, I guess, what happens when you have a marquee weather event come through and cause significant damage. Yeah, most definitely. And of course, that is just something that, you know, as you mentioned, all the things that they've got to do. I mean, insurance companies have to protect themselves. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to stay in business to help protect the farmers, whoever has to take up the policy. So it is a business at the end of the day. Well, we'll talk more about uh, everything coming up with agriculture here on Iowa Ag Matters. But right now, Andy Peterson has his three big Iowa Ag Matters right now. Number three. Contemplating a rebuild of the cattle herd at record low levels right now, according to Dr. Dan Tracy of Beef Technical Services with Zotus, who says that producers may be finally looking at expanding, which is a big decision. There's a lot of things we need to take in consideration. I'm glad to see that rebuilding of the herd because that's a good thing because we're in a state where we probably need to be. The considerations we need to make is there's a lot dependent on these heifers because they make up the history of the herd moving forward. They set the pace of the herd moving forward. So we want to select heifers more towards the beginning in that, uh, that calving season because we know they stay in the herd longer. We know their offspring outperform reproductively and on the steering production-wise, too, so we made that commitment to do so. He reminds producers that rebuilding begins with the basic of selecting the right heifers. Number two. Ongoing concern for fairness for farm kids as it relates to FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. Our Iowa Senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst pressing the Department of Ed for clarity regarding question number 22. They are especially concerned that the way the agency chooses to ask the question will force students to list the net worth of family farms as assets. Now, the senators wrote in a letter to the Department of Education that the question, quote, fundamentally misunderstands how the family farm operates as the stream of revenue for crops and livestock varies significantly year over year and assets cannot, quote, get cashed out to support a loan in the same capacity as traditional investments. Number one. A big loss, at least temporarily, for Iowa soybean farmers. The ruling handed down by federal judge David Burry in the U.S. District Court of Arizona in Tucson, revoking the approval that allows the use of dicamba herbicide products on soybeans in Iowa. Now, Matt Herman, chief officer of demand and advocacy with the Iowa Soybean Association, says that the ruling not only takes away one of just four key modes of action for fighting weeds, but the timing of the decision adds layers of problems for growers as there simply isn't enough supply of other herbicides to make up for the volume of dicamba products that have been ordered. I'm Andy Peterson. Those are your three big Iowa Ag Matters. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at IASoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Well, Iowa Ag Matters continues to march on on this Tuesday morning. We're going to take a look at those grain and livestock market numbers, see what they're doing at this midway point of the trading day, next on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, online at iowaagnet.com.
This is the Midday Market Update on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson. Joined today by John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing for our Midday Market discussion. John, what are we seeing taking place in the grains today? Oh, we got some mixed grain trade overall, maybe a little bit of firmness holding that corn market in place. Uh, that might be driven by some of the export demand. We're starting to see some pretty decent sales numbers on the weekly level coming for corn. This is a window where we should see some buying step up, and we really need to see some additional buying step up. You know, So maybe that's going to at least keep corn supported here in the near term. Could be a little bit more of it at the mercy of the rest of the market. Soybeans down a handful of cents today. Again, we're still watching the South American harvest come in, pr- prices compared to the South American crops are still not friendly here for the United States beans and the export market. And those bean sales have really dried up the last couple of weeks. So again, just kind of holding on to this 1180 area and that March contract, a little nervous if that were to break, we could see some pretty strong technical selling. Wheat market's choppy today, quiet today, uh, but trading a little bit softer. We're worried about global prices in terms of compared to the U.S. continues to be one of those story lines that's out there, as well as two today. Uh, with some of the inflation data, the dollars making a nice strong move higher. That might be weighing on the grain commodities again, too, on that export front. That's the latest on the grains. Here's Andy Peterson with more livestock news. Here we go with the livestock numbers. Daily estimated slaughter total cattle-wise, 115,000 head. That's a full 10,000 less than a week ago, 7,000 less than a year ago. Boxes are stronger here at midday, but light movement. Just 44 loads of choice cuts selling up 4 cents. 294.08 select, only 8 loads of movement. $1.94 stronger, 287.02. That spread is down to just $7.06. What a crazy narrowing we've seen over the past uh, month or so. Hog-wise, daily estimated slaughter total numbers coming in 491,000 head. That's 5,000 more than a week ago and 10,000 more than a year ago. Cash market-wise here, let's wrap up yesterday's numbers for comparison purposes. Barrels and gilts, producers sold on a carcass basis negotiated purchase-wise. Only 2,500 head of movement yesterday. The market was up $1.42 weighted average price, 65.21. Formula purchases are strong run of over 194,000 head with a weighted average price, 73.09. So that market was about 40 cents stronger. Now, as far as what's happening here at midday today, negotiated purchases, pretty light run of only 1,345 head of sales. Weighted average price, 68.06. So that market is up another dollar and 25 cents. As far as formula purchases go, only 107,000 head of sales. Weighted average price, 74.25, so we're $1.10 higher there. You might think Iowa just grows corn, but the truth is, corn grows Iowa. Hi, I'm Stu Swanson, a farmer from Galt, Iowa, and the first vice president of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Whether you're planting, harvesting, or anywhere in between, as a member of the Iowa Corn Growers Association, you're also actively advocating for our industry. As an ICGA member, you have a voice lobbying on ag issues at the state and federal levels on priorities that impact your farm. Join us today at iowacorn.org join. At midday, March corn is up three quarters of a cent at 431 and a quarter. March soybeans down three and a quarter at 1189 and three quarters. March soybean meal down $2.20 at 346.70. March soybean oil up 38 cents at 47.28. On the Merck, February live cattle down 22 cents at 184.02. March feeder cattle down two cents at 248.80. April lean hogs down 20 cents. At 80.92, April pork cut out unchanged at 88.12. That was a check of the midday markets on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson.
Let's continue the conversation surrounding markets, shall we? Mark Magnuson and focusing on the livestock side of the equation with Joe Camp from Comstock. What's the latest on the other side of the ag marketplace in the protein sector? Started off with a mixed trade for cattle here with uh, feeder uh, cattle uh, extending their gains, but live cattle futures selling off a bit on Monday. You know, there's a lot of optimism still about feeder cattle and trying to maybe gain some traction this year on expanding the herd again. Uh, we uh, learned about you know how tight we've been on overall numbers. That last cattle inventory report, lowest cat, uh, cattle and calves count since 1951. But one reason for that optimism is going to be the market improvement and pasture conditions, uh, particularly across those grazing heavy states in the south, the Texas Panhandle up into Oklahoma and Kansas, doing much better on moisture and. You mix that in with higher profitability potential. I mean, the rally we've had here, the big surge in, in cash cattle values here these last couple of weeks, you've got more reason to uh, maybe buy some of those uh, feeder cattle here. And, and that started the week off strong, that feeder cattle market did. The live cattle maybe just leveling off a, a touch here technically after a, a really solid run. We're up some, if you look at nearby live cattle futures, more than $20 off the low and uh, just a bit more than $10 short of the all-time high we marked uh, last September. So mixed start for the cattle, just a bit lower here to start the week on the hogs, but that does extend a correction that's been you know, seven or eight out of the last nine days going. We know that based on how the economy is going, that generally tends to be on uh, the deciding factor on whether or not people are buying amounts of protein at the grocery store. Joe, how does the consumer index data that we received this morning kind of uh, line up with what we might see in that regard? Right. Good to circle back to that because we are going to watch here at the open and throughout the rest of the week and going forward, uh, this general macro picture type of uh, consumer sentiment and what it means for uh, these grain and livestock markets. But yeah, we can tie it directly to consumer purchases of meat. And, you know, so far to this point, we haven't been all that worried that consumers holding relatively strong despite what had been long a call for recession and for a weaker than what we've been getting at least types of jobs data. Uh, but, you know, we're generally positive, even with this hotter inflation report. I think we look ahead and, and talk about the eventually interest rates declining and having a, a so-called soft landing for the economy after these several years of high inflation and, and weakening a gross domestic product. But, yeah, the consumer hasn't really turned away from uh, meat at these higher prices and that's a, a, a positive thing for the market going forward. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Well, during the AAI Showcase, Riley had a chance to talk with Kent Klingbeil of Advanced Agrolytics. He's a lead agronomist there. They're going to talk nutrient management, especially when it comes to nitrogen, next on Iowa Ag Matters.
The analytics conversation was strong at AAI Showcase. There's no doubt about that and how we can utilize that data to improve our efficiency. Riley Smith, learning more now, visiting with Kent Klingbeil from Advanced Agrolytics. First, Kent, just tell us a little bit about uh, Advanced Agrolytics and what it is that you guys do. Advanced Agrolytics is um, a company founded um, in Indiana, and actually we cover multiple states across the Midwest, and we're a group of agronomists and also we have a branch of our company that does third-party research and so there's ag advanced agrolytics and then ag ingenuity partners so they're two sides of our organization so we work directly with farmers um, unbiased so we don't sell any products but we sell our agronomy services and recommendations so just thinking on uh, you know this time of year we're looking at a lot of nutrient application you know we've seen a lot of nutrient application already as mentioned in the fall um, and we're just thinking of getting ready for that planting season, that new crop season. Uh, first off, before we got talking here, we were talking about fall manure application. Tell us a little bit about what you had been telling people in the fall about, uh, you know, some advice there and how maybe that's carrying through into the spring. You know, when I think about fall manure applications, you know, how it gets applied. Obviously, you know, we got tankers, drag lines, however it's getting done. But when's it getting done? You know, we had some glimpses. We were talking about this earlier. There were some kind of flashes of this fall. It got pretty warm. You know, so when do those applications occur? How did it get done? You know, if it's just broadcasted over the top, was it injected? Did it have a nitrogen stabilizer with it? I think that's a critical piece in manure applications. So just thinking how that all got done and what is the plan for spring, you know, to address maybe a little bit of loss or optimize plant growth and development. So based on, you know, we had pretty interesting weather. You know, we mentioned in the fall alone, it, we had some warm temperatures, but then we had really cold points in the winter. Now we're getting a little warmer again. Um, when we're looking at the nitrogen at this point in the year, are we worried about any loss in the soil or what's kind of the status on that? I would say in my opinion, no, I, I'm not really that concerned today about, you know, what we lost in ammonia and fall ammonia applications. It really didn't get warm enough long enough. And generally guys in the fall are stabilizing their nitrogen, I'd hope. And so that's kind of a plan. I mean, manure, you know, maybe a little more dicey, right? We have a longer time period in there. And so just think about that. But I think as we approach spring and just understand what happens from this point on, right? We're in February, we've got some decent rainfall. And so what's the difference from here to planting window? And what can we change, maybe alter to edit that nitrogen plan? So, of course, you know, we don't have like a crystal ball to anticipate exactly what's going to happen this spring, but uh, just going based on what we think projections on what could happen this spring, what, what's the general advice that you're looking at of, of what to maybe target as we get towards, uh, you know, making sure those nutrients are ready for that uh, crop season? Uh, big thing I think about is just having nitrogen early available for plant growth and development. If, if we have a wet spring and we're tying up a lot of nitrogen and not releasing a lot, you know, my corn's not going to be a great start. So I need to think about environmentally. So that's one thing Advanced Agrolytics does. We're understanding in every single environment, what is the risk? Is it a saturated acre that maybe I have more water flowing to? So I need to maybe adjust my nitrogen rate or may, maybe add in a nitrogen stabilizer on some of those fields to make sure I'm protecting that nitrogen for the full season. Well, great stuff there with Kent Klingbeil, Advanced Agrolytics. Thanks, Riley, for getting that information for us. Right now, we're going to shift gears and talk with Jolene Reeson. She is the president of the Iowa Corn Growers Association and get an update from them. There's a lot of conversation at Commodity Classic about the importance of carbon intensity scoring and increasing farmer participation. I have a Corn Growers Association, one of the leaders on the issue, according to President Jolene Reeson. So I had a study done here on my farm, and I'm actually a, a negative carbon emitter, and, and I managed to get to that point by I no-till, I use cover crops, I have a custom feed yard that we feed cattle in and I utilize that manure as part of my, as part of my fertility program. The ground is, is actually worked very little. 
Um, if we can no-till it, that's usually what we do. Always keeping in mind, you know, the soil erosion, carbon capture. We just try and do everything that we can to, number one, keep the soil on my farm. Number two, to keep the fertilizer on my farm. She says lowering ethanol's carbon intensity score will be key to unlocking the sustainable aviation fuel market. And you can learn more at iowacorn.org. Well, that is going to wrap up another show here of Iowa Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Another busy day here as we keep the ball rolling at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Of course, thanks to Andy for being part of the show today. Thanks to Riley for all the work he's doing behind the scenes to keep the show uh, up to par. And, of course, Mark for uh, getting everything put together with us as well. And thanks to you for being out there listening Of course, none of that makes any difference without you guys out there. We'll see you again tomorrow on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Dustin Huffman. Have a great day.